I think it's time for we who fill the pulpits of America to answer the question, what should I believe? So we begin today a series I generally am calling, How Fundamental Are the Fundamentals? And the first in that series is titled, What Should I Believe About the Bible? Now we have read from 1 Peter chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 4, inspiring words about this book. We have read that the Word of God lives and abides forever. We have read that the Word of God is like a sword which pierces. I hope you believe that because it's true. I want to add to those verses what Paul said to his son in the faith, Timothy, in the second letter, chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture, every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is given by inspiration of God. It was not the devise of men. It was by God. If we were to take the original language of the New Testament, which of course was Greek, we would read that verse this way. All Scripture is God-breathed, or literally, breathed out of God. Nothing was put in here that was not uniquely the product of God. God breathed. Just as in the creation when God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. God breathed into existence this book and it's all by the inspiration of God. I came across a poem in my file I had forgotten about titled, My Old Bible. This is the kind of thing I would like to see us come back to in America today. Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places show traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. This old book is my guide. Tis a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. For each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. To this old book I will cling. Of its worth I will sing. Though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair when surrounded by care while possessing this blessing divine. I love those lines. And I believe all of us ought to say amen in our heart to those lines. Abraham Lincoln once described the Bible as the best gift that God has given to man. According to John in chapter 1, God revealed himself to man through his son. 
and he was referred to as the Word. The living Word was Jesus in flesh, God incarnate, walking with us where we could touch him. And then God spoke through the written Word, the Scripture that Paul spoke of when he wrote to Timothy. Two ways in which God communicates to planet Earth. One through His Son, Jesus Christ, the living Word, and the other through the written Word, which we call the Holy Bible. Yet there is an attack against the Bible in America today. That is not, of course, unknown to any of us. It cannot be read in the schoolroom. In 1983, February the 3rd, President Reagan announced that 1983 in America would be the year of the Bible. And many of us rejoice, but not all. I hold in my hand a copy of the court record from the clerk of the United States District Court, Central District of California in Los Angeles. The defendant in this case is the President of the United States, Mr. Ronald Reagan. What is in this is a list of names and paragraphs from people who did not like him announcing 83 as the year of the Bible, and it went to court. And this is an actual copy of that court record. I think that's rather amazing. This is some of the problem that we are facing in our time in regard to the Bible. I think it's rather unique to again open the pages of this book and discover the why of that difficulty because it's clearly stated. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why people don't like the Bible. It tells them what they're like. It shows them exactly where they are. And they would rather go to court about it than they would to heed the powerful instruction that's found on its pages. So, how fundamental are the fundamentals? What should I believe about the Bible when all of this is happening in our world? Well, first of all, what we need to believe about the Bible is that it is the very Word of God. It is the very Word of God. He prompted the thoughts and guided the choice of words that went into this book. Now, you may be able to say right now, prove that with some cynicism. Well, let me prove it to you. Way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 12 and 15, God spoke to Moses and he said to him, Go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you shall say. And I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. It wasn't Moses that was even speaking. It was God speaking through Moses, who was told by God to go, and he would be with his mouth. Isn't that interesting? 
I can think of some people I'd like to pray for for that to happen. Oh, Lord, let them go and please be with their mouth. That's the way it was with Moses and all of those who wrote this book. In the New Testament, this is how it reads in 2 Peter 1.21. The apostle declares, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now what does this line mean? Prophecy never came by the will of man. It means that man wasn't smart enough to even dream it up. No man could put this book together. Do you know how many years transpires from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22? 1,600 years. Do you know how many people were writers of this book? 44. 44 of the 66 books. Or rather, 44 men wrote 66 books. Yet, most of them never met each other. Most of them never saw each other. Most of them never even knew about the other when they were doing what God gave them to do. And yet, there is no contradiction on one page of this book. Not one. You see, man could not have devised it. Man could not have put it together. Only God could do that. Prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, thrust, God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. So what you, do you need to believe about the Bible? That it is the very Word of God. It is inerrant. It is the very Word of God. We don't struggle with that as some seem to be doing today. We take it all. When it speaks about sin, we believe it. When it speaks about salvation, we believe it. When it speaks about divine healing, we believe it. When it speaks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we believe it. When it speaks about the return of Christ, we believe it. When we speak about judgment, we say amen. That's what the Word says. It's the very Word of God. It's also proven by what man wants to do with the Bible, in my opinion. The Bible is a dangerous book for dictators. Hitler and other totalitarian rulers used every means to keep the Bible out of the hands of their people. You know why? Because of what we read from Hebrews 4.12. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whenever you get people reading the Bible, you get people who know how to live. And nobody can rule over them. And that's why... These men didn't want the Bible read. What about communistic countries today where Bibles have to be smuggled in or people will tear a page if they can get a page and put it under some kind of plastic if they can find the plastic and cherish that one page because they're not permitted copies of the Bible. What we found in China was that after over 30 years there were more Bibles and more Christians than ever. Because of what the Bible says about itself, the Word of God lives and abides forever. What was more popular, the Bible or Mao Zedong's red book? The Bible was. You see, it's proven by what man wants to do with it. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. 
That's why they reject it. And it's one of the greatest proofs of the validity of this Bible that I could show you. Believe that it is the very word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that. He created it. There must be a theory of creationism. God made it. And God made it good. Now, secondly, what must I believe about the Bible? That it is God's revelation of salvation. You're not going to find salvation any other place than through this book. It is not to be found. He illumines the reader according to the scriptures. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the writer now inspires the reader. Paul speaks in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And isn't it wonderful that when you sit down with it, suddenly it becomes real to you. It literally leaps out of the pages to you. The Holy Spirit who inspired the men to write it inspires our hearts to understand it. And in our text in 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Born again through what? The word of God. It is God's revelation of salvation. I read a wonderful story of a man who was taking a long journey and a friend of his happened to be in his room while he was packing and he was getting a little anxious and antsy about how much time he was taking. And he said, how soon will you be through? And he said, oh, I'll be through very soon now. All I have to put in my suitcase is a guidebook, a lamp, a mirror, a microscope, a telescope, a volume of fine poetry, a few biographies, a package of old letters, a book of songs, a sword, a hammer, and a set of books I've been studying. The friend objected, you can't get all that into your bag. Oh, yes, I can, he said. And he took his Bible and he put it in the corner of the suitcase, pulled the lid down and snapped it shut. <laughs> Amen. There it is. So if you want to know God's way of salvation, just take hold of a guidebook, a lamp, a mirror, a microscope, a telescope, a volume of fine poetry, a few biographies, a package of old letters, a book of songs, a sword, a hammer, and a set of books, and you've got it. And it's all right here between two leather covers. It's called the Bible. God's way of eternal salvation all in one volume. That's what you need to believe about the Bible or you can't make it to heaven. You say, it's that simple? It's that simple. It's all right here. Don't have to travel to Mecca. Just pick up the book. Number three, what do I need to believe about the Bible? That it is God's way of victory over sin. Why is it that people struggle with sin? Because they're not in the book. If you're in the book, you have an answer. You read there in Luke chapter 4 of Jesus, who by the Spirit of God was led into the wilderness... Now that was immediately after his baptism by John in Jordan when the Holy Spirit had descended upon him. He was anointed of God and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And who does he meet? The first person he meets after his powerful spiritual experience, old Slewfoot, devil, Satan, Lucifer, the cunning deviser of evil. That's why on Monday it's tough 
after the Holy Spirit touches us on Sunday, the first person you're liable to meet on Monday is old Slewfoot because he doesn't like what you're doing. So be ready. It's all right here. So here comes the devil, and he says, Oh, Jesus, you're hungry, as if he didn't know that. The devil's really dumb. He overplays his hand all the time. And he says to Jesus, look at those rocks. You can turn those stones into bread. Now it is interesting to me that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, did not say to the devil, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. He didn't say that. He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, folk, you better tuck that away in your heart because that's how you get victory over sin. It is written. It's not what your name is. It's not how much education you've had theologically or any other way. It is what is written in this book. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, all you have to do is say, De Devil, read that. Come on, read it. If you've got the guts, read it. It's right there. I'm submitted to God, and it says, I resist you, so get out of here. And he has no choice. He can't stay there. He's got to go. When Jesus used the word against the devil, he came out of the wilderness experience the same way he went in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that. He went in and he came out the same way. Hallelujah. Having done battle against the devil with the word of God. Now that's how you're going to win. It's God's way of victory over sin. How will we overcome? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. We're a group of people of the space age, but we cannot strip ourselves of dependence upon the Almighty for life itself. Sin is dragging us down even when we seek to go higher and higher. Man still faces the last judgment and cannot get away from it. In love, God gave us a book. And he said, hide it in your heart, and you'll know all there is to know about now and the hereafter. There's a wonderful story that comes out of the northern Philippines from a group of people called the Agta people, A-G-T-A. One of those tribes way up in the northern part of the Philippines. They describe a small caterpillar called the Samrid. This little caterpillar infests trees and plants at certain times of the year. The Agta people have learned to avoid that caterpillar because if you come in contact with its fuzzy hairs, it leaves a burning welt on the flesh. Very painful. Interesting enough, the remedy is the samrit itself. A leaf is used to scoop the caterpillar onto in order to avoid touching the samrit. You take a leaf and get the caterpillar on the leaf. Then you fold the leaf up with the caterpillar inside and you squish it. Why don't you just do that? You can just feel it. You just squish the samrid right in your hand. 
Now, when that's done, the leaf is opened and the flattened body of the samrit is removed with a stick. And the fluid that is on the leaf is rubbed on the welt and the agta say that there is immediate and lasting relief from the welt caused by the hair of the samrit. Isn't that something? That's what you must believe about the Bible. In this book, you read the most horrible things. It stings. Woof. Right between the eyes. Woo. You're a sinner. Ah. But the same thing that knocks you for a loop heals you. You see, God didn't pull any punches when he wrote the Bible for us. He told us just like we are. I've had people say, I don't want my kids reading the Song of Solomon. It's too sexy. Well, I'd sure rather have them read it from the Song of Solomon than Hefner. It's put in such beautiful terms there. I had a woman say that to me once. She was all upset because we were encouraging her kids to read the Bible through it. I don't want my kids reading that. People get stung. Oh, there's the story of David and Bathsheba. Oh, how terrible. Well, it happened a thousand times in Sacramento last night. That's a, a very meager guess. What is God doing? He is showing us exactly what we're like. And then what does he do? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and they, oh, we're naked. One lady visiting the Holy Land said, oh, I didn't know the leaves were so small. <laughs> they were exposed. But what do you find in chapter 3, verse 15? Promise of a Redeemer. He comes with the fluid to put on the wound and he heals it. You read about judgment to come and you say, oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to perish. I don't want to go to hell. You don't have to. Keep reading. There is a fluid that will cover the wound and you'll be saved eternally. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Hallelujah. After much stinging, the relief comes from the very point you get the sting right out of the word itself. So you've got to believe that it's God's way of victory over sin. Fourth, what must I believe about the Bible? That it contains God's direction for my life. We've got so many people floundering around, struggling, stumbling, falling on their face. Marriage is going up to up side down, businesses failing. I don't think that's God's will. We've missed God. We have not taken to heart his word. Something is amiss. Because this book, according to Psalm 119, 105, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I believe that if you walk in this book, you're not going to make those stupid mistakes. 
You see the picture David had, and I've told you this before, but let me remind you again that in the ancient time, they tied a lamp around each ankle, a little oil lamp, and they lit the lamp when they were going out at night, and they would put their foot down, and there would be enough light to put the other down, and then there would be enough light to put the other down, and step by step through the darkness in Israel, they would make their way to their destination one step at a time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway one step at a time from my elementary years to my teen years, into my 20s, into my 30s, into grandfatherhood, and on into retirement, hallelujah, and on into eternity. Glory, a lamp, a light, one step at a time. I don't have to fall. In this book, there is instruction about marriage. In this book, there's instruction about a job. In this book, there's instruction to employees and employers. In this book, there's instruction to the youth. In this book, there's instruction to the children. In this book, there is instruction about interpersonal relationships. One step at a time. A lamp under my feet and a light unto my pathway. Let's get smart and start reading and hiding the word in our hearts that we will not sin against God and make a mess of our lives. That's what this book is about. That's why I've given my life to preaching. Because I think I'm helping the most people with the few years that I have. You see, I started reading it when I was a little fella. Just a little shaver. I carried it to Sunday school. I carried it to church. I opened it when the preacher was preaching from it, and I got used to finding the book so I didn't have to look in the front and say, oh, man, where's that page? I learned where the books were. I tried to follow it from that day to this, and when my feet would get going the wrong direction, off into darkness, something would come out of the pages of this word and say, hey, back here! Ooh. I had enough fear of God that I knew I'd get back there. And I haven't been on drugs, and I haven't been on alcohol, and I haven't lost my marriage, and I've never been unfaithful to my wife, and I have a wonderful family, and my life is happy and full and secure and blessed. I don't even have a testimony other than that. It's God's direction for your life. Romans 1, 20 through 28 talks about the downward trend, which is obvious when trusting in man's way. In that passage, Paul said it's man with man doing that which is unseemly. And then it's man with birds. And then it's man with beasts. And then it's man with creeping things. Incredible. That's exactly the progression. Downward until God says he gave them over to a debased mind. And that's where people are today. They have a debased mind. They can't even see the wrong of their way. The progression is downward. So you learn the direction of your life when you open this book when you read its pages, when you discover man's folly, you say, I don't want to go that way. I'm going to take the upward road. I'm going to do it God's way. And you find health and wholeness and happiness.
What should I believe about the Bible? That it is the very word of God? That it is God's revelation of salvation? That it is God's way of victory over sin? That it is God's direction for your life? Because it is. The word of the Lord is a fire, according to Jeremiah 29. His word was in my heart like a burning fire. His word, according to Jeremiah 23, 29, is a hammer. It's not my word like a fire, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. You have a hardened heart. Come to the book and let the hammer break the rock in pieces till you're able to say, my Lord and my God. The word of the Lord is a sword. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a lamp, according to Psalm 119, 105. We've already touched on that. A looking glass, according to James 1, 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He's looked, but he doesn't pay any attention. He goes away and forgets. It says, water, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. The word of the Lord is as milk, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, 1 Peter 2.2. It's all of that and more, everything you've needed in this life and in the life to come. So today I want to say at the beginning of the series of messages on the fundamentals, back to the book, back to the Bible. This fundamental is very fundamental if you're going to know peace and joy and blessing today and Victory tomorrow. I have a question to ask you as we come to a close of this service today. Think of it. Why is it that our kids can't read a Bible in school, but they can in prison? Because that's exactly where we are in America today. They will provide them a Bible in prison, but you can't. In a school. I say that's foolishness. That is the height of ignorance. Capital I. We need to reverse that. We need to start teaching them at the earliest age that this is the word of God. That the commandments in Exodus 20 are up to date. They are for today. Thou shalt not. And then teach them the thou shalt. This is the way to find life. This is the way to find happiness. This is the way to keep from disease that will take your life. This is the way. Walk ye in it. It's all in here. We need to start giving it to our kids. And then they won't need them because the prisons will close down. Because they will not murder. They will not steal. They will not lie. They will not cheat. Because the word of God will forbid it in their life. If they read it and hide it and go by it every day. One step at a time. The greatest answer to the terrible suction of money that's going to feed and care for prisoners that I know of, the Word of God, in the hands of children. Last Wednesday night, I talked to our youth group, and I talked to them on two words, worship and the Word. I said, these two words will take you through all of life. Worship, tell God who He is regularly, and take the Word. Worship and the Word. And I said to them, I want to see you start carrying your Bibles to church. I want to have you carry your Bible to school. Start carrying your Bible. Some of you have never carried a Bible. If I said, turn to the book of Nahum, you wouldn't know where to look. 
You wouldn't have the slightest idea. Start carrying the Bible. So if the kids are going to carry it, then the big people better start carrying it too, right? We'd better start checking up on the preacher, make sure he's not reading out of some other book. Make sure he's reading out of the book when he stands to address the people from the pulpit because some are reading out of other books. But we commit ourselves today as a church anew and afresh to the word of God and we challenge America, all of America, to return to the book, God's word, which is able to save us. And let's start putting it into the hands of our children and teaching them the way that they need to go. Here at Capital Christian Center, we're going to make a commitment to the Word of God as this service comes to a close today. I want you to stand with me, please. I want you to take your Bible and hold it up in the air. Whether you have a full sword or a jackknife, which is a New Testament, I want you to hold it up. Now start waving it. I want to see. Oh, look at there. Look around. Isn't that fabulous? Look at all the dynamite in this place today. There's enough dynamite to blow up Sacramento right there in our hand. Now take that book, will you? The same one and hold it right to your heart like this. Just now squeeze it. Just squeeze it. I love to do this. Sometimes I walk around with my Bible like this. Lord, let it sink into my heart. Lord, let it come into my mind. Let me live by this book where I find direction for my life, salvation from my sin, where I find victory over the things that oppress me in this world, where I can know for sure that it's God's eternal plan. We just hug your word to our breasts, Lord. We hold it to our hearts. We love your word. Now, how many of you would like to say as our heads are bowed and we're just hugging our Bibles? I need to read it more, Pastor. I'm going to raise my hand and say, I make a commitment today to the Word of God in my home, in my life, here at the church. Raise your hand up. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I pray that the book sales will just zoom in our bookstore for Bibles. And those of you watching us by television, if you don't have a Bible, Call the number on the screen. We'll send you a Bible. Somebody in this church will buy you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you tell me. Call that number right now, and we'll get a Bible to you so you can hug it too. Find Jesus in it. Do it. Do it. We care about you. Now, with our heads bowed, how many of you here would say, Pastor, I don't even know Jesus. This book has arrested me. It has told me that I'm a sinner but I need to receive the Savior, and I would love for you to pray for me today. Would you raise your hand up right now, wherever you stand, and say by that hand, Pastor Cole, I need Christ in my life. Pray for me. Raise it up right now. Lift it up until I see it. Thank you, ma'am, back there. Thank you so much. Raise it up until I see it, then put it back down, and we will pray for you today. Thank you for these over here, these gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Thank you way back there. Thank you. God bless you. Hold them until I see them and then put them back down. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to help you. I do want to pray for you. Raise them up, upstairs or downstairs. Thank you over here, ma'am. God bless you. Raise them up, please. Lift them up. Yes, another and another and another. God bless you. Tell you what, before I pray, with those of you who have just raised your hand, come to an aisle and walk right down here where I am in the front of this sanctuary. 
come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor Cole, I mean this. Pray for me. Give me some help, and I have some for you. Would you just come right now from wherever you are? Start coming. Start coming from wherever you are. I want you to be here. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Jesus loves you. Did you know that? And all these people love you. And we're going to make it together. God bless your heart. Let me introduce you to a man who always says Jesus loves you. Mason, come quick. Come quick. How are you, buddy? God Thank bless you. You, Thank you. you know God Jesus you. loves you? Yes, I do. Oh, he does. And I love you, too. I'm so you glad too. you're here. Thank Are you, you opening your heart to Jesus yes, this am. morning? Yes, I feel I feel that. I feel God you. bless you. Thank you. Coco, please. This is our youth pastor. Just talk to him a minute. Now we'll have some material for you. I'm going to pray. Hey, buddy. Come here. How are you? God bless you. You've been here before. I love you. First time to the altar. Yeah. Oh, I'm so proud of you. God bless you. Jesus, thank you for my friend. I sense you want to do something special in his life. Lord, just lift the burden of sin and give him salvation at this early age in his life that he may walk with you the rest of his days without guilt and fear and know Jesus is real. Bless him now. Thank you for him, Lord, and your love for him. Praise God. Come right on up here, ladies. If you've come forward, I want to take you by the hand and say, God bless you for coming. How are you? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, and I love you. God bless you, buddy. God loves you so much. So proud to have you come up here, you young people. Have you come with them, ladies? God bless you. These your children? Isn't that exciting? Have a family in Christ. Ah. God bless these dear people. Come into their lives today. Let the word of God be a living book to them. And Jesus, a living person. Hallelujah.